The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Not getting back to your text messages. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And you should see my phone. Yeah, well, in this case, uh, Jake, I have received so many texts telling me to tell you things as if that's going to make it any easier for you to respond. I appreciate that people assume, oh, well, if anyone can get in touch with Jake, it's Jordan. Uh, That's sort of true, but not entirely. Welcome, everybody, to this very special Friday edition of Baseball Barbercast, where, thankfully, we are going to talk a good amount about baseball, which is that part I'm super duper looking forward to. Which has always been the plan and the point. (laughs) That That was the goal from day one back in Jake's parents' living room in 2012 when we began this stupid thing. Jake, first of all, good morning. Hi, how are you? I am uh, low on sleep. Okay. But I am in good spirits. Yes. All things considered. Yes. And I am genuinely excited to think about baseball. Oh. And yesterday was a very tumultuous day for me. Perhaps the most bizarre 24 hours of my relatively short life. Only topping Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday. (laughs) Correct. However... At 8.07, when the game started, mm. there it was very therapeutic. Oh, yeah. It was very therapeutic. Oh, yeah. And so I I'm agree. thankful that there is good baseball to talk about, that this game had stuff in it oh, yeah. to discuss. Oh, yeah. We will get to some of the discourse surrounding my journalistic integrity later on. Expect me to take the high road and not say anything particularly spicy. Jordan, mm. however, <laughs> might let it sing a little bit. Stay tuned, Before- folks. Here's the here's do, the agenda. Go ahead. Here's go the ahead. agenda. We're going to talk about the Phillies advancing to the National League Championship Series in Game Four against the Atlanta Braves, which Jake attended because that was a great baseball game. And that is the story. That is definitely the story, and that is why we are going to lead with that. Uh, then we are going to take a break. Then we're going to take a break. Then when we come back, we're going to keep talking about baseball because that's our job and that's what we actually like doing. We are going to preview the American League Championship Series. The National League Championship Series, which will begin on Monday at Citizens Bank Park between the D-backs and Phillies, we are going to save previewing that series in full for Monday's episode. Starting next week, we're going to be going every single day uh, through the end of the season. So we're going to just save that for that. So we'll preview the Texas showdown in this episode. Monday, we will preview Phillies and D-backs. And then at the very end, we will circle back and we will finally close the book on what has been the most ridiculous week in Cespedes Family Barbecue history. But Jake, let us begin with the baseball, okay? Because Mm. the baseball happened. Thank goodness. I am kind of bummed that now we have to wait another two full days to watch baseball games. I am relieved that I don't have to watch a baseball game for two days. That's fair. No, from your perspective, you certainly need a nap and you need to log off and all those things. I agree. But but again, the off days have been (laughs) the problem for many reasons. And so I'm looking, I, I, I am glad we had last night and I'm looking forward to the next game. Let's set the scene. Phillies up two games to one. Spencer Strider on the bump against Ranger Suarez, a rematch of game one. Game three in Philly was a Phillies drubbing. Bryce Harper, two home runs, staring down Orlando Arcia. If you're just um, finding out about it now, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, And there we were. Strider was very good. I thought all things considered. He had the good shit. So much of the narrative and the discussion about him ahead of this start and ahead of the series was taking a look back at last year, last year's NLDS, when he came into Philly in game three, an injured, limited, reduced version of himself and got accordingly crushed. There was no reason at all to expect anything less than the best physical version of Spencer Strider. And that is what we saw on Thursday night. The fastball was very fast. The slider mostly did enough sliding, okay? And the command was good enough 
for most of the evening. Yes. And so for, in my opinion, it felt like there was no world in which Strider wouldn't be the story, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah. However, here we are, two starts under his belt. He was solid in both of them. And it didn't matter at all because Atlanta's offense just did not show up. Exactly. And that was definitely the story. But I do want to hit on Strider here for a second because while the line was not as impressive as what he did in game one, even in a loss, uh, I was blown away by Spencer Strider last night because while, yes, the sliders, which the Phillies were clearly game planning and focused on that, his ability to just throw fastballs his command wasn't even that good. He was just throwing it in there. And yes, it's at 98, 99, and they just couldn't square it up until Nick Castellanos knocked him out of the game. I, I cannot remember uh, an outing like that that I've ever seen and having watched Spencer Strider so many times. But the narrative that, oh, he's like a playoff choke artist. No, this was, he gave an incredible performance that I was so impressed by. It was yes. truly an a, a incredible thing, all things considered. But the Phillies were ready, and the Phillies did enough. And to what your point, most importantly, it didn't matter because the Braves' offense was completely asleep. The best offense in baseball history by WRC Plus tied with the 1927 Yankees. Okay, That's what we're talking about here. We are discussing perhaps the single greatest offense in the history of the sport. And they scored seven total runs over the course of the series. Five of them that in one it, game. Five of them in one game. Okay, that's the story. They scored one last night. Usually that's not enough. They did take the lead early on. Austin Riley solo shot down the left field line just inside the foul pole. But Ranger Suarez, that guy has truck nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he had, before the Riley homer, I think it was 13 straight scoreless uh, postseason innings. But there was that. There were some moments there where it was like, oh, are we pulling the plug on Suarez early again, right? And, it and you would have understood it. And the same thing as we've talked about on this show, the roadmap to 27 outs. You're doing the math. How are we getting all these outs with all these guys? What is the sequence of, of events here? We end up seeing Kimbrell earlier, Alvarado earlier, right? Dominguez, Strom, close it out, whatever. We're jumping ahead. But he stuck with Ranger and it was worth it. He gives him five and he makes it a lot easier to get to the end of the game. Let's now discuss the three pops. The three, the, the bang, bang, bang. Mm. The right hook, left hook, right hook or I guess three right hooks. The Phillies won this game because they hit three solo home runs. All of them were no doubters, okay? Which was a great part of it because it was almost just like an immediate cannon blast each time. Mm -hmm. And that it was the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth lined it up so nicely. Nick Castellanos on a hanging slider to tie the game in the fourth. Trey Turner on an even worse slider the Castellanos one was like middle in and he just kind of dropped the bat head to it. The Turner one was like just terrible, right terrible down pitch. the middle. Yep. And then to knock Strider out of the game, 100 miles an hour on a one-two count, Castellanos <laughs> gets to it. Just what a thing. And again, that pitch, yes, it was right down the middle. It was at 100. He had been throwing it the whole game and they just kept talking about 22 foul balls just off the fastball. Okay, I, I've, I've truly never seen, and, and I looked it up and Strider led the, you know, this isn't that surprising because he had the most strikeouts in baseball. He led the league in, in foul balls, you know, on fastballs by far. Like, no, it wasn't even close. And that's not surprising. But for Castellanos, just to get it that one time was so impressive. Castellanos and Trey Turner are the story. Quickly on Trey Turner. Trey Turner enters this game 0 for 17 against Spencer Strider in his career. He goes 4 for 4 with three hits against Strider, two extra base hits. Two both extra base hits off the slider. And then Castellanos, batting seventh, delivers three uh three home runs. Uh, sorry, two home runs. Uh one first of all, I mean the <laughs> the knockout blow was beyond spectacular. Like truly beyond spectacular. Yeah. And uh and that's Castellanos, a, yeah. That's a good dad. His son Liam in the front row, losing his mind every time. Oh. Like I literally could you imagine being Liam Castellanos? Like, what a life. Huh? It's so great because Liam Castellanos, like not that we haven't seen baseball players' kids get excited about their dads doing cool things. Like we've seen that. Yeah. But Liam, who I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's, he's, like the, 10. he's the perfect age to know exactly what's going on and emote accordingly. And <laughs> in a way that like a four-year-old wouldn't necessarily be able to do, but like and a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, right. it's not as right. cute. 
Yeah. It, oh. It's just so perfect. And like credit to the broadcast who cut to Liam as soon as, you know, those homers were hit. All of it is just spectacular. Castellanos yeah. is one of a kind. And for him to have these moments um, in Philly was, was amazing. Strider walks off the mound, yells into his glove. I think he was kind of trying to pump up the infield as he was leaving was my read on it. I could be wrong. Um, but I think now we fast forward to the seventh inning because this was the ball game. Top of the seventh, Jose Alvarado starts the inning after finishing the sixth, gets two quick outs. Then he walks the seven hole, Kevin Pillar, walks the eight hole, Orlando Arcia, and gets pulled from the game. That brings in Craig Kimbrell, of all freaking people, to face Travis Darno with two outs. He walks Darno on a full count, loading the bases for the NL MVP. It's okay. He's going to win. For the NL MVP, Ronald Acuna Jr. Bases loaded, two outs, uh, top of the seventh, two-run game. This is the season. (laughs) This is the season. Jake, you know I like to say that this is the season in May in the third inning of a uh, Marlins-Royals game. I love to say that. It is my favorite line. I say it all the time. I say it at college fall ball scrimmages, you know, in, in a big pitch. I said, this is it, man. This is the season right here. This is this was the most the season has been to this point with Acuna uh, coming to the plate here. And uh, first of all, Craig Kimbrell, <laughs> it, it's great too because Kimbrell, no matter what, the best part about Craig Kimbrell as a character in the baseball universe is there's no version of him where it's not where it's not entertaining. And everyone, whether you're a Phillies fan or a Braves fan, you are holding on for dear life. And that is a, a glorious, glorious thing. Craig Kimbrell is the pitching equivalent of a very frail, like, drawbridge string, like one of those wooden drawbridges that goes across a beautiful canyon. Mm-hmm. And you're just, it's swaying side to side. And it's an incredible view. But at any moment, the planks could just open up and you could plunge deep below into the into the murky depths. So the first pitch to Acuna, yeah. he yanks it. yanks it just as, as, as much as someone can yank a pitch. It goes past Real Muto. It bounces off the backstop. And Kevin Pillar on third base starts to scamper home. And then he realizes... Getting thrown out at home with Ronald Acuna up with the bases loaded would be a toot bland for the ages. Correct. And so while it right does call. look like he probably maybe could have scored or would have had a good chance because of the ricochet and because of how far Kimbrell was recovering, it made sense. Now, it also made for an incredible visual because the base runners on second and third are like already almost to the next base. Or sorry, first and second, and they have to run backwards. And so that high home shot of that play yeah. was especially chaotic and fun. Also, I think the right move by Real Muto not to throw it. The issue here, and again, I'm about to critique JT Real Muto uh, catching, and I understand that's outrageous. If you watch it back, the way he picks up the ball, he picks it up and turns his back to the plate. Like he almost turns the wrong way. And when he does that, he's not facing first base. Where if if he's facing first base as he picks up the ball and sees that runner, Mm -hmm. he can get the out right there because... There was no one covering second, and his eyes went to second base first, which is totally reasonable and, and okay. But first base is where the out was. But right. based upon the situation he saw, he put it in his pocket, held it, lived to fight another day. All series long, the Phillies kept Ronald Acuna in check, which was impressive and a huge story of this. How? Heat in. Fastballs in. Ronald Acuna Jr. is incredible because he can do things without and away and up fastballs that no one else in the sport can do. He can hit those with such authority and whether it's going the other way or turning on them. The way to get him out is to get in under his hands, is to make him under make him uncomfortable. And the reason that's hard to do and the reason Acuna is so great is that if you miss and the ball leaks over the plate, you end up with a ball in the seats. And even earlier, he's at bat before against Sir Anthony Dominguez, first pitch, low fastball at 99, he ropes it 112 off the bat, 113 off the bat, but straight to Bryson stop. But again, that he's able to go the other way. That's why he is so unique and, and challenging to pitch. Not that right. he can't get the pitch inside. And I think the most interesting pitch of this at bat against Kimbrell was the curveball in that he just, he tries to drop the bat head to it and just misses it. Now, if he had hit that, 
not only would it have maybe, you know, gone to Pittsburgh, it also might have been one of the highest <laughs> balls ever hit because the the bat angle, the, the way that the bat was was kind of going through the zone and up through it, the way that he missed it, that ball would have been in the air for 25 seconds. I don't know if it would have gotten out, but that would have been second. But he misses it and it gets to seven pitches. And on the seventh pitch, Jake, what happened? You were there. I, I, what happened? I blacked out. <laughs> on the seventh pitch, Kimbrell rested. No, he went inside on Acuna with a fastball. And Acuna got to it. He got the bat head to it. But Kimbrell got it in just enough. And it's a great example because, like, the pitch is a strike. But it's a borderline strike. If I mean, the it's pitch a perfect is a little, pitch. It's a Look perfect. at that game day. Mm. Perfect. If the pitch is a little bit further inside off the plate as a ball, Acuna might take it, but it's more likely that he won't hit it. If it's further over the plate as a strike, it's a home run. Right, and the game is a completely because story. However, he he did he gets jammed, and he still hits at ninety eight miles an hour, almost out of the park. Right, and that's what we're that's what we're dealing with here. Okay, so here we go. He makes contact, silence. And as as everybody has noticed, you could tell on TV, and you could obviously tell in the ballpark. I'm sure, silence, unlike anything else that we really have in sports, <laughs> it is to go from that loud to that quiet is so, so, so unique. I guess the only comp would be, and it's not nearly as long, is in basketball where the ball goes up at the very end and it's really loud, but then the ball, you're, you're looking at it, but again, it's half the amount of time, hang time, right? There's nothing like this. To go that from that loud to that quiet to that loud. Oh my goodness. Uh, I would say a field goal in a yeah. football match. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I don't remember Thanks, what you know, sport that is, but that's true. You know, I love the NFL. Anyway, the ball falls safely into the outstretched glove of Johan Rojas in center field. The crowd explodes. The inning is over. And the Braves, while they do threaten in the ninth inning, putting runners on first and third with nobody out, Matt Strom enters the game and shuts it down with three straight outs, getting Vaughn Grisham swinging to end it. Phillies. <laughs> Let's quickly talk about the last at bat. So the Braves had sort of emptied their bench at this point. In the seventh um, inning, they went for it. They went for it, right? Um, they brought in Nicky Lopez. They had some pinch hitters. Uh, Forrest Wall comes in for defense, but they obviously don't want him hitting. That's why you end up with Eddie Rosario facing Matt Strom. Not exactly an ideal matchup from the Braves side. And I think the managing here was pretty brilliant because at first it looked like, why are we sticking with the lefties against all these righties? But then you realize, oh, they probably have to bring in Eddie Rosario. And so while I was kind of wondering, where is Hoff daddy? Where is Orion Kirkering, even though that would have been an absolutely wild spot to bring him into the game? It made sense to stick with Strom. Rosario pops out first pitch. And then Von Grissom, the guy who everyone was like, this is the guy. You know, he finishes last year so well. He's going to be the next shortstop of the Braves. Orlando Arcia, ever heard of him? He beats him out. He has a good season. Grissom comes back. And then because you'd empty the bench and because you want the matchup and because you don't want Nicky Lopez hitting in that spot, you go to this young kid and say, hey, kid, can you save our season? I thought pinch hitting Byron Buxton <laughs> against, <laughs> against Brian Abreu was nuts. But this was, while probably the right move, kind of a wild assignment for Mr. Grissom. But he strikes out. And Matt Strom, who has endeared himself so quickly to Philly, you almost forget that this is his first year there, was such a cool moment. The North Dakota native who's had a very strange journey to this point, has been marvelous this season as a swingman. And for him to get that save was so flippin' cool. So the Phillies win, but before we totally move on, I, want, I have to go back to the Johan Rojas catch in particular because his, like, while I know the, the catch probability might not have been as low as it, as it felt when the ball was in the air, there was a, a when you watch it, and I've watched it 100,000 times, obviously, and the, the, the sound of it is one thing. It seemed like he, when he's tracking back, and Johan Rojas is probably one of the 15 best center fielders on earth. 15 to 20 best center fielders. That's like why he's in the big leagues. That's why they felt comfortable having him in the big leagues on this moment is that he could make them better in that respect, even if he's hitting eighth or ninth and maybe looking overmatched to the plate, right? But he tracks back so well and even he, there's a moment where he kind of takes this awkward step near the warning track, and it's either because of the cutout 
of the fence and the weird angle of the fence, I couldn't tell if he was like, oh, I'm about to hit the fence or his assumption, which was all of our assumption, which is this ball is going out of the, out of the, out of the, over the fence. And that's what I'm going to have to deal with. So what was or your he's... read when you watched him range over? Oh, I have seen bizarre Brandon Marsh yeah. related outfield yeah. things this year with the Phillies where balls drop in because one player or another is, is mm-hmm. hesitant. And for Rojas to go all out for it says a lot about who he is as an interfielder. Oh, yeah. My joke here, Jordan, was that he smelled Marsh's hair. Oh, he had that was that was had to be uh, you know like stronger football, than hear- how loud he. Although you know when it's that quiet when it's in the air, yeah. Marsh could have been like you know you you you. In football, you hear footsteps in the outfield <laughs> at Citizens Bank. You can you know smell you Marsh. Smell hey, them. to be clear, I yeah. want to say this quickly about Brandon Marsh and the narrative that he is stinky and dirty. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I understand. I just made that joke. I've never seen a ball player shower more. <laughs> he like I, again. I don't know if you know this. I get to be in clubhouses a lot. He's a clean guy. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I don't like this narrative. I understand. I just uh, made a joke about it. I get that. I thought it was kind of funny. However, yeah. here to defend Brandon Marsh, not stinky, not smelly. Yes. Well, fine. well said. But no, but that, that Rojas uh, moment was, um, that's why. And, and, and it's, just, it's just so funny because oftentimes the defensive specialists in baseball, it can be tiring to watch them try to hit. Like that's a real thing, right? And, and we talk about often with catchers and we understand like the Jeff Madison Maldonado, but defensively, oftentimes you're not seeing them make enough plays like that to where it's overcoming the shitty at-bats. But then when you have that yeah. one moment, you're like, oh yeah, that is the whole point. So Phillies win. They pop bottles when what has been just hilariously routine now for them. Oh yeah. Everyone knows their beats. Garrett Stubbs has a new color of overalls and there are beers in every crevasse of it there are goggles there is outrageous music mm-hmm. they go on the field and hug their families we i've seen this this is my fourth one mm-hmm. there that i've covered and they're all hilarious they're all fun to see they're mm-hmm. all cool um yeah any thoughts from the celebration besides no i mean it was again like i feel shirts. like i've even having watching on TV, I feel like I've seen the same thing over and over. I mean, like I tweeted, I don't remember what Garrett Stubbs looks like in baseball pants, right. only in overalls at this point. And I, for the record, I went into the visiting clubhouse. So I was in the Braves clubhouse to more or less eat it, <laughs> even though I did yes. nothing wrong. Right. Uh, and also, I, like I, you, you, as you just mentioned, you know what it looks like in the Phillies clubhouse. Correct. And, and that was a story I wanted to write anyway. So I went into the Braves clubhouse, so I didn't see any of the Phillies celebration stuff. Anything specific that stood out? No, I mean, there was, again, like I am enjoying the guys who I haven't seen do this. And and particularly the reaction after the last out with Strom in particular was so cool. Um, the other quick moment of the game, which again, kind of jumping to the postgame too, is the quick scare with Bryce. Uh, we have the collision at first base where Matt Olson kind of hits his, I mean, Matt also didn't do anything wrong. He was just running into the base and his knee kind of collides with Bryce's arm. And it just seemed like everyone freaked out for a second. Understandably, he goes in downstairs, he comes back up, he's fine, he finishes the game. And then after in the clubhouse, he's like, you know, thrusting his arm up in a way that is basically telling everybody I'm fine, which is great. So we love to see that. I would say there was actually more players shirtless this time than uh, in past Philly celebrations. I saw way more nipples in this one. Uh, compared to some of the past ones. So that was a bit of an evolution, I would say. Not not necessarily a surprise, but I would say yeah. that was a little bit different. That's good reporting. I'm happy that stayed in the clubhouse. Let's also just talk about the Braves side, because you wrote a story for Fox about kind of recapping the Braves' end of the season. So the Braves lose. Now, the last few weeks, we have seen teams with a lot of regular season wins crash out in epic fashion. However, not all of them had the expectations of the Atlanta Braves. Even the Dodgers... And the Orioles and the Rays, who had won these boatloads of games, you could look at their roster and be like, that might not hold up. Whereas with the Braves, you would say, we have said the whole season, this is the best team. Not that we don't think they can't be beat, but this is the best team and they expect to be back in the World Series. And that is not what happened. They're still the best team. Mm -hmm. Baseball, I've said this a million times, in baseball's playoffs, it is not an example of truth. That is not what we're trying to find out. We're trying to create entertainment with the playoff structure. Other sports in other parts of the world, like the English Premier League, whoever has the most wins, most points at the end of the year, they win. That's how it goes. And if that's how MLB worked, the Braves would have a trophy and the glory and everyone would remember this team forever. And we would just be sitting on our ass in October, hanging out. (laughs) 
Can you imagine? <laughs> Very boring. God, that sounds horrible. Yeah. But that's just not how things work here. I think it's important to consider both things. The Braves fell short of the ultimate goal. That's a fact. When the lights were brightest, they cratered, they turtled. Very short. They, very Didn't short. get all that I, close. Yeah. I don't like when a team loses in the postseason, some of it's small sample size. I think oh, if yeah. you played this again, the offense would show up more. Mm-hmm. Right. That was an aberration. But there is also, you know, an element of the of the energy of it. That's mm-hmm. totally important. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I think it's important to hold both of these things in our minds that the 2023 Braves were the best team in baseball. And the 2023 Braves succeeded in many things that they set out to achieve. And the 2023 Braves failed in the end. Yeah. And any discourse about the playoff format, like I just don't really understand why we're so focused on making sure that the best teams get rewarded. Because as Jake said, like that's just not how it's ever worked. And the reward for being amazing in the regular season is you get to keep playing in October for any amount of time. That is a reward. Right, you don't just get an automatic ticket to the World Series like it was for decades in Major League Baseball. That's no fun, right? The reward—it's it's just not how it should work. Like it is a reward that you get to keep playing at all. There are a lot of teams that go home after Game One Sixty Two and don't have the chance to advance. Right? That privilege that you've earned is still a reward. So giving them any more advantage than that is is just not necessary. We're here to be entertained, and I would say that while the games individually, admittedly, in the series so far have not been particularly competitive. They haven't been. We've had six sweeps. Um, I think only two or three one-run games. Like We've had some indiv- amazing individual moments, but thus far we haven't seen that much competitive baseball from a series standpoint, and that's fine. We've been entertained anyway. It's not about that, right? It's not about, like you said, it's not about the truth. It's about just uh, who shows up, and all the teams at this point are still pretty good. So that's really what matters. All right. So one more thing before we take a break. Okay. Okay. Slightly adjacent to your experience, but mostly just about the Braves experience here as a whole. Okay. The degree to which that they allowed the Orlando Arcia stuff to expand to what it was, was disappointing. Not in the context of how it impacted you. That's different, which we'll get to later. But truly, as this has been written, this did not need to be the story that it was. And while it is small sample size anyway, and credit to the Phillies pitching, this did not need to be an issue for them. And they allowed it to be, and that's disappointing. And I hope that uh, this team can be... It's disappointing, especially because I like so many players on this team, and I enjoy watching them, and I want to see them succeed. Like, we don't have it, obviously. Like, I would love to keep watching Ronald Acuna Jr. I do not want to be like, oh, this is... this is Like, no, I, I want to see him succeed. Obviously, if he hit a grand slam in that spot, it would have been one of the coolest postseason moments of all time. Duh. Um, so it was it was just disappointing to see them fall flat because I thought that they were good enough to where there were enough safety valves within there that it wouldn't be a group wide uh, collapse. It was a disservice to themselves. Yeah. And a disservice to the work, time, energy, effort, purpose, focus, game planning, cage hours, travel, all of it, all of the things that go into a season for the singular goal of winning it all. And the idea that my and Chelsea James's reporting and Orlando Arcia's response and Bryce Harper looking at him was enough to, I'm not saying it single-handedly did it at all. No. But I also think that it did, and again, I, this is by super not my intention, I've said that of a million times, not. it did create an energy in that room that was bizarre. Yeah. And felt off. And they were already up against it when you consider the history here of last year and just how they've matched up with the Phillies and all these things. And so it was, they just, yeah, they were not in a position to succeed. And that was disappointing because my God, there are so many good baseball players on this team. So that's the Braves. They move on. They, uh, I think what's really interesting as we just spin it forward for them is this team is so locked in. This roster is so set that what kind of dramatic changes can or will they make? I know Alex Anthopoulos is not going to sit on his hands, but I'm very curious when you have so many parts of the roster that are so set and so secure because they were so good, I can't wait to see how they try and improve this winter. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, let's talk about the American League Championship Series deep in the heart of Texas. 
Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumpy rafter, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barbercast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's preview the American League Championship Series. Um, uh, yeehaw. That would, yeah. I don't know um, how much Old Town Road I'm about to listen to. Ooh. Not that that is necessarily a Texas-specific anthem, but it is certainly the thing that I think of for whatever stupid reason. This is the first championship series in MLB history to take place entirely in a different country. Did you know that? Yeah. No, I know. This would be we've this had, would be a hell of a time for Texas to secede. I gotta say that's what I'm saying. You know, well, we've had Toronto <laughs> in it before, but it's only half. So, like with Texas, it's the whole country. Yeah, this is going to be. Um, I, I think what's been fun, and this will build up in the coming days, is talking about this rivalry, which, because of the directions of these franchises over the last decade, it hasn't perfectly overlapped in the same way, really, until this season. And so that is what makes this so exciting. And we saw it at the very end of this regular season, especially, and of course in the division race. But now we get to see them against each other. All of that spice at the end of the regular season about how the Astros were like, oh, we're too classy to celebrate just clinching the postseason. We are just going to do our champagne toast and clinch the division the next day, which is what they did as the Rangers threw it away. And the Rangers said, yeah, okay, we'll get shut out in game 162. That's fine because we're going to come back and become the hottest team in baseball, and we'll see you in the ALCS. Storylines to watch, because we're recording this on Friday morning. We don't know exactly the rosters. We don't know exactly some important things. Of course, most importantly, is Max Scherzer going to come back and pitch? We know he had a shoulder injury in September. All the reporting was, that's not good. He can't come back. What a surprise. Max Scherzer is doing anything in his power to try and come back way faster than reasonably expected. So as for whether he's going to be on the roster or not, we remain to see. It also sounds like John Gray, who has also been hurt for a few weeks, is going to at least try and come back. So if that happens, I mean, that's just a massive storyline for a million reasons. You got shares of Verlander, all those obvious things. But we know because of the amount of days off, we know that we are going to have, likely in the first few games, Justin Verlander against Jordan Montgomery, Framber Valdez against Nathan Eovaldi. Eovaldi is the one here who I am just blown away by because it, it wasn't that, like, he just didn't look... He looked hurt and bad in September. And then as soon as the postseason start, he was fine. Yes, it's possible he just got healthier during the time between his last regular season start and his first postseason start. That's possible. But when we think about Nathan Evaldi's postseason track record, which by the way, like in my head is on par with like Zach Wheeler. I don't know. The numbers might not be right there, but when I think of who I'm trusting to give the ball, if I know he's healthy, I absolutely would have said Nate Evaldi. I just didn't think he was healthy. So he's been amazing. Montgomery, we saw him be a little bit shakier against Baltimore in that last game. And now he's facing the Astros who are a little bit more used to hitting baseballs in October than Baltimore. So that matchup alone is going to be uh, really exciting. And then if Scherzer and John Gray also come back, now we're really getting into it. You know how much I love Nadia Valdi. Remember when we saw him? This is a great, this is a great little story. <laughs> this is 2021? Uh, 22. 22. 22. 2022 spring training. We're in Fort Myers Red Sox complex and Nadia Valdi is right in front of us throwing a flat ground. For those of you who don't know, a flat ground is basically like a bullpen, except not on a mound. It's on flat ground. They threw, throw fewer pitches. Um, and I was watching him throw like from way closer than you usually get to see a pitcher throw. And I turned to Jordan. I'm like, he's winning the Cy Young <laughs> this year. And Jordan's like, what? I'm like, look at the stuff. It's different. Jordan's like, right. you're standing five feet away from a major league pitcher. Like, right. everyone's stuff looks different from this right. angle, man. Come on. And and that was, you know, that was at that point, you know, coming off finishing fourth in the Cy Young. And he was not great because he was hurt in 2022. Yeah. Signs with Texas. We see him look great at times and we see him look shakier at times. Not as good down the stretch, but these last few postseason starts, he's gone basically almost seven with one run in each. Hasn't walked a batter yet. 15 strikeouts. He is just so dialed in. And, and now, of course, in both of those games, he was staked big leads 
to where he could just yeah. attack, 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 attack. He basically admitted against Baltimore. He could adjust his game plan, go after haters like crazy. Are they going to have that kind of big lead against Texas or against Houston? Possibly. We'll see how the Rangers offense continues to roll after all these days off. I'm curious about that. But it's the same kind of thing where like they just have so many guys going that even if a couple of them go cold, I have a hard time believing they're not going to be able to put up runs. What is one thing or player on each team you are excited to watch? Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm very curious to see the Rangers rookies. Um, we've seen Evan Carter just put together these unbelievable at-bats, but the way that yeah. Josh Young has started to look, he's another guy who really wasn't looking the same once he came back from injury at the very end. But to see him heating up and to still see him heat, hitting like seventh or eighth, that's the kind of guy that is just... I still have not been able to gauge, like, are there cracks in this Astros pitching kind of at times, but then not really. And you trust they've done it so often, so often. But this Rangers offense has been so good that I want to see which of those guys are going to show up against those Astros pitchers because it's I just trust it more than, respectfully, you know, what we saw from Baltimore and even Tampa Bay. I This is maybe a dumb answer, but Jordan Alvarez for mm-hmm. me. Heard Especially, of him. you've heard of him especially against the lefties mm-hmm. on Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody Bradford, Andrew Heaney, and mostly Aroldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. There Emma will be Gummery, a game. Right? Emma mm-hmm. Gummery, Emma Gummery. There will be a game when Chapman comes in to face Jordan in a big spot, and it will be an unhinged interaction. It will, <laughs> like, it, just the amount of sheer power, force, and yes. you know, rotational velocity yes. in that matchup. Oh, I'm so excited just thinking about it. Yeah, and Jordan, like, his postseason drag record is so amazing because the individual moments that he's delivered, if you look at his series-by-series OPS, he's either Babe Ruth and cleats, but better, or he's been terrible. And that even includes in in the World Series last year. He had that one home run against Jose Alvarado was like, that was his one moment in the World Series, but that's what we remember, so we think that he was amazing the whole time. But that's how he's been in all of these series. His individual hits or homers have just been beyond what we could ever conceive of. He's one of a kind. I can't believe that it's still taking time to realize, like, oh yeah, like he is, he's, he's that dude. He's that dude. So, But of course, Houston has impressed us to so many levels, so I'm excited about this one. And Either of these teams being in the World Series is, uh, you know, we're at that point, right, where we think about either of these teams being in the World Series and it's like, holy shit. Like, think about what that would mean to have Houston back in it. Not that it would be a surprise. But think about what that would mean to have the Rangers actually get there. They, they as, as Bryce Harper said last night, that's why you spend the money, baby. <laughs> and that is what we are seeing with Texas. So that is the Texas showdown. We cannot wait. It will be glorious. Mariners fans will hate every second of it. But I will maintain my neutral... Uh, podcaster pants. I will keep those on and I will enjoy the baseball through and through. Those Again, are good pants. We will. It's very comfortable. We are going to preview the National League Championship Series next week on Monday before game one. Um, but that is our Rangers and Astros thoughts ahead of time. All right, Jake, it's time to end this podcast. Okay, but, bye. But before, but before we do, <laughs> before we do, I am just going to say a few words. Um, or I'll, I'll let you set it up, but I, you really don't need to say very many words. Um, as we've hinted at, of course, we understand what kind of week this has been uh, for you in particular. And while if you want to hear us actually discuss the matter at hand and reflect on it and whatever, we've already done that in the last few podcasts. So I don't really want to bother going over. You don't have to defend yourself anymore. That's a waste of time. You don't have to explain what happened truly like that. We don't have to do that. Okay. So all my one question for you before I will say a few things and then we'll be done is how are you doing and what would you like to say to people that might be listening that wouldn't normally be listening? And I mean that in a mostly positive sense. I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. I'm doing better than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I would say the hardest part of yesterday was that I couldn't turtle. I couldn't hide from it. I had an urge to like go into the Citizens Bank Park uh, press box toilet, mm-hmm. like bathroom stall and just mm-hmm. sit and have no one talk to me and just be alone. But I had to do my job and mm-hmm. to be around it, to own it, even though I didn't do anything wrong, was very difficult and mm-hmm. emotionally draining. It was tough. Oh, yeah. This morning, I feel good. 
I feel supported. I feel loved. And I'm very thankful for all the people who said nice things about me, who texted me kind words. I'm eternally Even if grateful. he didn't respond, he, he saw them. Even, I saw a lot of them, and there's a lot. Um, yeah, that's very humbling. I think you know this about me. I, I really seek community. And at times in any of our adult lives, we struggle to find it. It's much easier to do when you're in high school and college and you're around more like-minded people and there are structures for you. And I think that last night I felt the warmth of the baseball internet community and the warmth of the baseball journalism community. And both of those things uh, enabled me to sleep last night. <laughs> yeah. the last On top thing, of probably being very tired. Yeah, I probably slept like two and a half hours in total. Um, yeah. I guess the last thing, I'll, I, I'm so thankful I can't even begin to say that. I... I'm not going to talk about uh, what happened on MLB Network with uh, a host disparaging me, um, except for the fact that the use of the word jack off and not jag off is the funniest thing ever. And I will laugh about it until the day I die. But I'm going to take the high road on that. And my number one concern for myself moving forward is how it impacts my relationship with players in the game, fair or not. I know I didn't break a rule. I hope that my reputation speaks for itself and that my previously built relationships, I can stand on those. But to stand in the Braves post-game clubhouse um, and eat it certainly wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do. Again, it I it was bizarre, right? Because I felt like I should be saying sorry, but I, I am not sorry. Like I'm, I, I'm like, I am, I guess, sorry that their season is over and that they feel sad and like, but that's sports, right? That is like the reality of the situation. I do not regret reporting what I heard and what I saw. And I, all things considered, am proud of how I handled it. I would say the one regret I have is not going into the Braves clubhouse after game three, which the reason I did not do that and did not face the music was because, I don't know if you saw Bryce Harper homered a couple times, and that was the story. However, I did get some stick from Braves players um, for not doing that, and I wish that I had done that in retrospect. That is my piece, and I will now say I will let you. That's <laughs> fine. You can, you, can, you, can, you can be quiet. That's fine. Uh, I appreciate that insight. That was good. And as always, as we have said on this show many times, like I think when we get on here, like, our whole goal, and we've gotten this feedback before, is the, not just transparency, but like we are we are just people that have worked hard to get to where we have been, but also understand you know our place, and and we we don't want to come across as as distant or disconnected, and so we want to be as transparent as possible about everything that we're going through because again, it's a, it's a unique experience, and we recognize that. And it's not like we're waking up and being like, all right, how do we be relatable? You know, that's <laughs> no, not, no, that's not, it's know? not the goal, but like, that's just true. Like I just, as, right. as human beings, and that's been an important thing in any of the relationships that we've had, like that's an important element. And we're incredibly humbled and grateful that we get to do this. As 100%. A I mean, 100%. That's um, another layer to it too. Of course. Of course. Uh, now all that said, you saying you would like to take the high road. Uh, we've been taking the high road for a long time. One of our main principles and uh, a general kind of guiding light in our life in this industry and as people is no beef. We have tried to avoid beefing with essentially anybody. It's not like people haven't come after us for things that are often nonsense, but whatever, like it's fine. People could disagree with us or think that we have bad opinions, whatever. It is literally at no point ever been worthwhile uh, for us to get in the mud on any of this because that's not, it's just what, for what, right? That's kind of how we've always thought about it is for what. For what? And I think the for what is really, I think my biggest takeaway about what happened yesterday um, and what was what was said about you is is for what? Why, why, why would anybody say this thing about my friend who I care about deeply? And honestly, that is what kind of hit me so hard. And while it was amazing, and again, like you said, like I am very grateful to the people who have stood up for you, all the ranging from <laughs> our friends like Stephen Shock making funny jokes to you know the BBWA publicly defending you, which is awesome. 
All of that no, is amazing. I'm, and all of that is true. And so I don't you, have to make the same sorry, points the, about them. Yeah. Inside of you, instead of every man, there are two wolves, Stephen Shock <laughs> and the BBWAA. Yes. It's, it's a quite larger spectrum than that. But I don't have to repeat any of, of those sentiments. But again, I think the reason why what happened yesterday struck a lot of people and why you received the praise and deserve that you did is because while a lot of the week was people disagreeing with how you did your job, that's we, that's something that you can discuss. We can disagree. We can say this is oh people saying this is how journalism should be done. This uh, that's fine. I I think that a lot of those people come across as a very certain way, and that but that's okay because what those people were doing were disagreeing with what you did. They were not attacking you as a person. That no one else in the media space. I'm ignoring the Braves fans with eight followers. No one else in the media space decided to attack you personally. And so when I thought why why is this what what is this right like. I'm not going to fire back. At the same time, I could not believe that it got to that point. Not just that the specific points were so outdated and wrong, factually incorrect, but I was just truly aghast and in shock that it got to the level that it did. And obviously, it hurt my feelings. And I know I have not said it too much publicly because, again, we are going to take the high road uh, 95% of the time. But... This was was uh, astonishing stuff. And the last thing I will say, because again, a lot of people have explained why Jake, I don't, I, do I have to give you another reason why Jake is good at his job? No, but I'm going to, because this is not a point that people have pointed out. And it allows, brings me to the one other point of there are many parts that made me laugh about this once we realized that this was probably as awful as it was to watch you getting flamed on television. The, uh, the blessing in disguise of all blessings in disguise, okay? The one part with the line, <laughs> I just can't get over this. I think you know what I'm going to say. But the, the line so. we just have to we have to hit on here, okay? <clears throat> First of all, quote, this guy Jake Mintz, that's not even a reporter. That's taken away from the true reporters and the true journalists. Where were you on that random Tuesday in April in Cincinnati mm-hmm. when this team was playing in Cincinnati? Where were you on a rain delay? You have to sit in the press box for all this time. It's ridiculous. Now, the first thing that's obviously funny, while she is talking about you, the fact that I was quite literally in Cincinnati on multiple random Tuesdays this season is amazing. But I'm going to move that aside. That is just an all-time accidental cell phone. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because Jake was not there on a random Tuesday in Cincinnati because Jake was in New York City. And Jake Mintz, who has joined this ridiculous industry and tried to make it as an intrepid reporter... Uh, a BBWA member, as someone who is not did not go to journalism school or has not no formal background in understanding how any of this that works, to work in New York City on a regular basis and do the job well at Yankee Stadium and City Field is so ridiculously impressive and admirable to the point where I the, let me tell you the Tuesday in Cincinnati is a whole lot easier is a whole lot easier because I'm lucky I could do that, but it is a whole that is, that is not any sort of point of pride to be following a team around beyond what Jake is already accomplishing, okay? So on top of the fact that it was an accidental, hilarious reference to me, this is a great reminder that of all the reasons why I admire my friend Jake and how good he is at what he does, uh, he's doing it where it is the hardest, okay? And I don't know if I could do that. I know that a lot of people can't do it very well. And so that is another point that I would like to add. So I... There is a lot of other things that I would like to say, but as you said, we usually take the high road. Hopefully this was just the medium road. Yep. But I love you. I appreciate you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. And Did you know I yes. went to all three Tigers-Yankees games uh, in September? Did you know that? Yankees I, I did. I, I know you went to Oakland to see the NLCS-bound Diamondbacks earlier this season. Okay. Listen, I know, again, do I have to defend Jake anymore? No. You know where I stand on this. I also hope it doesn't impact your ability to do your job moving forward. I don't think it will. Uh, this month, um, if moving forward, I think that it should be very clear. I think you, you've you earned the trust and the players are, who know you and are understand this and how this works are smart enough to realize uh, that that's, that is not how this works and that is not the story here. You are not the story. You shouldn't have been the story. And while you ended up being some portion of the story, I hope that you are doing okay and we can all move on and we can continue to talk about baseball. So to everyone who supported Jake in, uh, all week, I appreciate it. It means a lot. I think it is a culmination too 
of our no beef policy because no we beef. just want to be nice with as many people as possible and be friends with as many people as possible. And let me and just I say that. that reflected. Jordan, mm-hmm. I was very proud of that. And like the, the responses that were very touching to me, and there were a number of these people referencing specific moments where we interacted with them. And like yes. that has been so important to what we've done throughout the years, whether that's me stopping and saying hi to a stranger on the bike trip when I lost mm-hmm. a bet or when we mm-hmm. used to have people Snapchat message us their phone numbers and we would call them one-on-one on road trips just to pass the time, right? Or meeting people at ballparks or yeah. running into someone out in the world. Yeah. Like I I take a lot of pride in, in treating everybody with uh, intention and listening and finding interest in their lives. And mm-hmm. um, I think I don't do that. We don't do that because there's a reward at the end of the road. No. Right. We, we do, do it, it because we like yeah. it and it, yeah. it's fun to be that way and it's better to live life that way. However, I'd be lying if I said it didn't feel somewhat vindicating to see the fruits of that labor in a way. And so and, that is why I sit here yeah. on Friday incredibly grateful and incredibly thankful of both you and this entire uh, baseball community. Because again, as you mentioned, why do we do it? Not because there's some reward. Because we, as many people point out, they love baseball. That's the bare minimum. If you love baseball, we probably want to talk to you. It's honestly that simple. <laughs> and if you like baseball, if you have any, ends, like we will want to engage. And so it's that simple. And again, we appreciate this support. Everyone that has emailed us, uh, baseballbarbercast at gmail.com, uh, B-A-R-B-Cast. Will we get back to all of you? I don't know, but some incredibly kind messages. So we appreciate that. Again, like this is a very weird way for this all to go down, but I think that we can hopefully move past it and, uh, and, and be done. I think that's it. Like, yeah. I don't think there's anything else to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to talk about the NLCS. Yep. So we will be resuming next week, Monday morning. We will preview the NLCS and we will basically be going every day, uh, weekends TBD, but definitely every weekday through the end of the season, which I can't wait to do. This has been so much fun. So if you want to support us any further, rate and review the podcast, let us know what you like. We really appreciate that. And uh, we're just going to keep doing our thing. We're very lucky to do it, but we... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the response has been amazing. So thank you all for the support. We hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And uh, I guess enjoy the off days. Enjoy ALCS game one. And uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. Chris is a superstar. We appreciate you, Chris. And we'll be back on Monday talking about the Rangers and the Astros and the D-backs, the D-backs, and the Phillies. Serious XM Podcasts.